0: The
1: first time I remember going there, it was a kid's movie, and I believe it was Bambi.
0: That's my mom talking about going to the theater in the tiny town of Mountain View, Wyoming. They
2: had a real capability of showing Western movies and that attracted us there.
0: The idea of being able to relax and feel safe in the darkness of a theater in a small town in Wyoming in the late 1950s, oblivious to what might be going on outside, is one of the most appealing things to me about this story. The funny thing about it, though, is that around the time my parents enjoyed Hollywood's dramatic depictions of Western life, something that seemed to come right out of one of those movies about the Old West would happen on the same block in their tiny town that had become more like Mayberry than Deadwood or Dodge over the years.
2: I get called out of class... To go to the superintendent's office and there is sheriff frank nairmore and a guy that was later identified to me as an fbi agent
0: in this episode of that doesn't happen every day in which we interview everyday people about things that don't normally happen every day we go to mountain view wyoming and find out what happened to bring in the fbi a search plane and even a mounted posse To start the story, I went to Mountain View's downtown, to the abandoned building that still has a marquee, where my parents would watch Rio Bravo and The Searchers.
2: You started the movie, and you were drinking your Coke. You set the Coke bottle down on the floor. When somebody moved their feet, they'd kick the bottle, and it would come rolling across the floor and and bounce off
0: of uh, the metal chair supports. I thought that was kind of funny. I thought it was weird that they could fit a theater into a building that's probably smaller than most convenience stores are now. In fact, everything in the two blocks that compose the old downtown of Mountain View is small, and over the years, after Interstate 80 replaced the old Lincoln Highway as the main route towards Salt Lake City, a lot of the buildings have been abandoned, and some have even been torn down.
1: Around the corner on 2nd Street was another grocery store. There was a different times, there were different cafes.
0: You can still see the arched windows of an abandoned corner cafe where my mom said she and her little sister had to wait in the car when her parents went into the cafe that was serving as a polling place, and her mom and dad voted for Eisenhower. Across the street is an empty lot, but over the years it saw at least two different iterations of Mountain View's public schools. The last one wasn't torn down until the 2000s, and my sister and I used to joke about how the signs along the side of the road by the school would say that it was a drug-free zone, but the Cowboy Bar, the only business in downtown that has remained, was right across the street from the school. Apparently, when the school was built, no one was worried about having a bar across the street.
1: I played the glockenspiel, the belt.
0: (laughs) That's Nancy Coffert, a proud alumnus of Mountain Views High School that once stood on that lot and a veteran of its band. I wanted to know more about the fabled incident that happened in downtown in 1958. I got to her house just after a storm, and she invited me in and pulled open her freezer to reveal what looked like big white marbles. She pulled them out and showed me that they were nickel-sized hailstones she had wanted to save after the storm that I had luckily missed.
1: It hurt when they hit. <laughs> it actually hurt.
0: <laughs> Nancy tells me her story about a band practice in the 1950s she'd never forget.
1: I've been detained for some reason at the school. Had to stay just a little bit longer, but I planned on going to practice, so the practice field wasn't by the school. It was about a block and a half away from the school, and I went as soon as I was available.
0: Nancy began her walk through downtown towards the football field at the end of the block.
1: There were cars lined up in front of the bank and at the grocery store, and one man was standing by his car, he was just leaning against it, and he was just casually standing there. And and I didn't think anything more about it. I didn't pay any attention to the kind of car he was driving or anything.
0: It was around the time that Nancy made her trip to the football field that this tiny town experienced something it hadn't for over half a century— these next clips are combinations of several newspaper articles from late September of 1958 from both the Wyoming-based Casper Star Tribune and the now-defunct Casper Morning Star. Mountain View, Wyoming. Two young mass bandits armed with pistols held up the U.N.A. County State Bank Wednesday and escaped with more than $13,000 in cash. The bank's cashier, Robert Lewis, gave one of the more detailed accounts of the robbery. Lewis, said the shorter of the two masked men, entered the bank first, walked to him, and said, This is a stick-up. I thought he was kidding, Lewis said. I said, Are you serious? And he replied, You bet I am. The bandit made Lewis and Mae Bartlett, a bank teller, move into the rear room and forced Lewis to open the vault and safe. Lewis described the shorter man as being about 5 feet 5 inches and dark complexioned and wearing army fatigues and a plain shirt. The taller man, Lewis said, was 6 feet tall, dark complexioned and was also wearing army pants and a light colored shirt. They scooped the money into a brown paper sack and herded the three bank employees into a back room while they made their getaway.
1: We had our band practice and finished it, and then we heard later <laughs> that there had been a robbery. And
0: Mountain View High School's only glockenspielist was about to have one of the more interesting days of her senior year.
1: Somebody asked me what time I'd gone by the bank, and I told them what time it was, and so they, they wanted the FBI to come and question me, and so they did. And, oh, they didn't pressure me or anything. They just asked me to look at a, a few pictures
0: Leonard Heisel, who talks about getting called out of class and meeting the FBI, shares what he remembers.
2: I'm a kid, you know, and I just heard that the bank had been robbed. So I walk in there and I I hope they don't think I robbed it. I've been in school, you know. I don't know what to think. Anyway, they said that they had just talked to Nancy and found out that her and I had walked by the bank as it was being robbed. And I said, well, we walked by, but I didn't know that. And. And so then they asked what I'd saw, and I says, well, yeah, there was a car parked in front of the bank, and and I noticed that it was running, and there was one occupant in it. I don't know what all Nancy had told him. Her and I was jabbering away, walked right by it. We were only 500, less than 500 people at that time. So if anybody strange is in town, everybody knew about it. There had been two guys hanging around Mountain View for two, about two weeks prior to the bank being robbed, And they spent a lot of time in the Old Corner Cafe over there. They didn't seem to have any reason for being in Mountain View. And I told them about these two guys. And I said, the guy that was sitting behind the wheel of the car looked kind of like one of those guys to me. And I didn't know their names or anything. That was all I knew about it. What happened is they found the car. And it was the same car that that I'd seen in front of the bank. And there was horse tracks leading from there out uh, southwesterly direction.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, this is where the story gets real, real Wyoming really quick. Posse hunts Mountain View bank robbers. Mountain View, Wyoming. Two young mass bandits armed with pistols held up the U.N.A. County State Bank Wednesday and escaped with more than $13,000 in cash. The getaway car, stolen in Evanston Tuesday night, was found abandoned near Lone Tree, Wyoming, three hours after the robbery. Members of the Sweetwater County Mounted Sheriff's Posse were called into the manhunt Thursday when a stray horse was found. A 15-man posse on horseback and the Federal Bureau of Investigation combed rough timber country along the Utah-Wyoming state line Thursday. The finding of the horse and evidence that hay had been carried in the stolen car led to a theory the gunmen may have staked out horses for use in their escape.
2: They tracked it across the country, and I'd heard that they tracked that horse all the way to Piedmont.
0: I just want to point out that amid the newspaper's mentions of roadblocks and patrolling jeeps, horses were being used by armed people mounting up and scouring the timbers of the to range, perhaps akin to something you'd see in the John Wayne movies being shown less than 50 yards away in the theater from the Rob bank. Only 10 years, 9 months, and 26 days before Neil Armstrong would walk on the moon. I also think that it's funny that what was found in a stolen car left by bank robbers wasn't drugs or weapons. But hey. The newspaper headlines that I could find after the robbery read, Lawmen continue hunt for robbers. And then, Trail cold and $13,000 bank holdup. And then nothing. I couldn't find anything else.
1: You know, it was never salt as far as I know.
0: So where did they go? If they were headed southwest, Salt Lake City is about 60 miles from where the car was found. But that's only as a crow flies. If they were to veer over their course to some of the smaller towns just over the border in Utah in a more southerly direction, they're about the same distance. But between where the car was found and any of those locations are the aforementioned UNA mountains that go from east to west along the Utah-Wyoming border, like a jagged curtain of 13,000-foot peaks and deep canyons. Even today, the Uintas have a strange reputation for being the last known location for hikers and campers who are found dead, or sometimes not at all. One of the more haunting incidents occurred in 2004 when 12-year-old Jared Bardsley left his father, who was fishing at a lake in the Uintas, for their campsite, which was only 150 to 250 feet away, but was never seen again. Remember how I said that the Bridger Valley hadn't had a robbery in more than half a century? In 1897, the Charles Guild and Sons store in Fort Bridger, just a few miles from Mountain View, was robbed by several known affiliates of Butch Cassidy. Unlike the robbers of 1958, these men were arrested and convicted soon after. However, this connection made me wonder about something else I found in the research, and what that news article had said about staking out horses. Apparently, Butch Cassidy was known for doing exactly what these modern-day outlaws were suspected of doing, of staging fresh horses on a planned route away from his robberies that would let him take a fresh one while leaving the tired ones behind. While I doubt that the outlaws of 1958 were trying to pay homage to Cassidy or make some type of statement in how they were evading authorities, I have to wonder if this is a weird case of history repeating itself through practicality. By virtue of the geography of the Uintas, did these modern outlaws even follow some of the same trails or hide out in the same places, like in Browns Park over the border, where Cassidy had also hidden Leonard takes us to Evanston, Wyoming years later, where he was then serving in law enforcement.
2: One of my instructors was that same FBI agent that interviewed with me at Mountain View School. I said, whatever happened on that bank robbery? He said, you were right about who robbed that bank. Those two guys that had been hanging around Mountain View, he said, we identified them and we found where they lived. He said, we screwed that case up in proper search and seizure. And that's all I know about it.
0: The idea of people literally riding away into the mountains and hiding out in some remote place only about half a dozen years after TV dinners were invented appeals to me a lot more than these men ending up in a place as, well, normal as Green River. In fact, the bombshell that Leonard dropped on the romanticism made me wonder if maybe the whole thing had just been a ruse and that the robbers were simply picked up by a friend with a car who took them down towards Flaming Gorge, and then eventually to Green River. Feeling dejected, I wander back to downtown to visit the scene of the crime. So I'm here. It says you went to County State Bank. As you walk up the steps here, they're a bit worn down. I'd been inside of the bank before. My grandma had lived less than 100 yards away. And I remember taking one of the checks that she had given me for my birthday into the bank to get it cashed. I remember my mom showing me how to endorse it, and then sliding it over the counter to a teller who was behind a set of ornate bars that were like something out of a western movie, the kind where banks get robbed a lot. I know what these guys did was wrong, but there's a part of me that does hope these guys did pull up Witch Cassidy, at least as part of their escape, before they continued on to Green River. Standing at the locked door of that bank, I've never wanted to buy a bank before until that day. It's surrounded by a lot of other old buildings that at one time meant a lot to a lot of people because of the experiences they had there. And my fear is, as downtown Mountain View continues to die, that the memories people had from those places might fade with them as well. I want the bank where I held my grandma's check and stared at her handwriting to stay the same and be remembered I feel the same way about the cafe almost across the street where my grandparents voted for Ike. And I feel the same way about that little theater where my parents were able to feel safe and happy in the glow of a movie screen, even though they were only a few doors down from a place where one day people would come in with guns and real posses, not completely different from the ones in the films they'd watched, would be called up and chase men on horseback just like they had in the century before that. I'd like to thank Nancy Cofert, Leonard Heisel, and my mom and dad, Mary Jean and Owen Peterson, for being in this episode and sharing their memories. I also want to make sure to thank Robin Everett of the Wyoming State Archives for helping me find some of the news articles I used for this story. If you'd like to hear more episodes of this show and you're listening on the radio, please do an internet search for That Doesn't Happen every day. In this case, every day is two words, podcast and you can listen to the complete archive of all of my past shows completely for free. If you enjoy this, please share it with someone else. I hope to have a new show to you soon. Thanks, and have a good day.